morning, our sermon lesson is going to be based on the gospel for today, the gospel from Matthew chapter 25. I want to invite you to open up to that right now. We're going to read Matthew's gospel throughout the sermon today. I also want to invite you to open up your worship guide and get ready to take some notes on the sermon guide that's printed therein. I think I've only said this once before, so I'm okay saying it again, but this is the most notes you're ever going to take during a sermon, okay? Or you have ever taken at the way this morning. As you open up to Matthew, let's go before our God in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you were looking to try to get to have someone believe in a Jesus who was really, really nice all of the time and someone who was really, really kind. If I was trying to get you to believe in Jesus who was meek and mild and always so tender-hearted and loving only, if you wanted to follow a Jesus who loved you just the way you are and was here to give you what you always wanted and the life you always dreamed of, do you know what you'd have to do with this section of Matthew? Do you know what you'd have to do with this section of scripture that we're about to read? You'd have to cut it out. You would have to chop it out and leave it there on the editing floor because it is entirely possible that you walk away hearing this section of scripture and you think to yourself, man, that Jesus, that Jesus sounds hard. Jesus sounds harsh. That Jesus sounds maybe even a little judgmental and maybe even a little insensitive to my feelings. With that, let's take a look at it, because this morning, we are in our fourth week. We're in our fourth week of the sermon series, The Point, where we're asking that very, very simple question, what is the point? As we look at five of Jesus' parables, what is my life? Teaching about eternal Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 14. Here, Jesus says this. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And we got to pause there because what is it that he's talking about? Well, it is simply this. It is the coming kingdom of God. It is Christ's second coming. And Jesus is talking about bringing it. He is talking about bringing his second coming. And here's why. Because it's Tuesday. And it's not just any other Tuesday that Jesus is telling this parable on, but it is the Tuesday before Jesus would suffer and die for the sins of the world. It's Tuesday evening, to be more specific, and Jesus had just spent our entire day going to the temple in Jerusalem, preaching and teaching to the people that were listening to him, and his haters, the religious right of the day, was coming to him and questioning him. After a full day of this, Jesus is walking back to the hotel with his disciples that sat just outside of Jerusalem, and he takes a break. He takes a little pit stop, and he rests on a hill, a hill called the Mount of Olives, a hill that he would, in just 72 hours, be betrayed on by his own disciple, Judas. 
And it's here that his disciples come up to him and they ask him, Jesus, what is it going to be like when your kingdom comes? I know you said you had to go to Jerusalem. I know you said when you're in Jerusalem, you have to die. And I know we're here in Jerusalem, but tell us, what's it going to be like? And Jesus says, you want to know what it's going to be like? Let me tell you. Let me tell you a story. Verse 14, again. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. We're going to pause again. It is going to be like a journey. The end of the world is going to be like a journey. And Jesus tells this story on the precipice of him dying for us that is all about this. As he is on the, the, the foothold of him fulfilling his purpose, what does Jesus do? He answers a question about the cosmic significance of human existence. He talks about your purpose. He talks about the time in between the present, Christ's first coming and his second coming. He tells a story about your maker and what you are going to do before you meet your maker. And this is the way he puts it. He tells a story about him giving gifts. Look at gifts to his servants. And so this is what we're going to do today. We're going to we're going to look at three different points. Or the heart of gift users and gift abusers. And lastly, we're going to look at you, the gifted. All right. So we're in Matthew chapter 25. And this time I promise we're going to get past more than one line, okay? Verse 14. Again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. We'll pause there. If you're asking yourself, man, I think I've heard this story before, but it went by a different title and there was talents, don't worry, you're not losing your mind. It used to be called the, the parable of the talents. And in 2011, the NIV and most Bible translations, English Bible translations, decided, hey, nobody these days knows what talents are. Because when, when Jesus was talking about talents, and that was the Greek word, talents, he wasn't talking about aptitudes or, or natural abilities. He was talking about an ancient monetary value. And so the people who you know, are putting together these English Bible translations says, no one knows what talents are when it comes to money, so let's give everybody something more concrete. Let's give something, uh, a phrase to people that is going to really help them wrap their heads around this parable, really help them understand it, something that everyone can tangible, just hold on to and, and really get what Jesus is talking about. And so what they do? They change it to bags of gold. Now, I don't know about you, but other than watching Scrooge McDuck on cartoons, I don't have bags of gold sitting around. So <laughs> what, is, uh, what is Jesus talking about in this parable? Well, it's important that we catch it. So let me just kind of summarize what, what, is, what is Jesus saying. He's given talents or bags of gold, but how much and what does it mean? He gives five, two, and one. 
Well, no one really knows how much a talent was worth, but everybody agrees that it was worth a lot. On a conservative end, most people agree that a talent was worth 20 years of the average worker's wages, 20 20 years worth of income. So you take the average, you get just over $1.1 million. That's serious money. What Jesus is saying is, I'm a master, I'm telling a story. I'm the master, you're the servants. I'm about to go on a journey and before I do that, he goes and he makes his servants millionaires and two of them multi-millionaires. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean as we think about gifts? What's the point of Jesus' parable? It's pretty straightforward. God gives great gifts. If you're following along on your worship guide, that's the, that's the first fill in the blank. Second one, God gives great gifts. He doesn't, eh, any old gifts. He gives great gifts. And so let's get into that. Let's look at a little bit more of why he does that and, and what the nature of gifts are. First, let's ask the question, <clears throat> excuse me, what are gifts? Because this parable has been translated as talents and we have an English word that's talents, I think we've come to just think God's talking only about aptitudes, abilities, skills that we have. That's what he's talking about giving. But it's much broader. In this parable, God is talking about giving literally everything that God has given to you. Yes, it includes your talents, but it's so much more. It's the time that you have on this earth. It's each and every day that you have as a gift from a God. The opportunities, the good health, all of these things are gifts. It's the talents. It's what we read about in Romans where Paul talks about gifts of encouragement, gifts of talking about God's word, gifts of encouragement and prayer and prophecy. It is gifts of using your hands to serve God. It's gifts of giving. It's gifts of leading. It's the skills you have of of using your body maybe to play a sport or to play an instrument. It's these things, but it's not only time. It's not only talents. It's also treasures. It's the possessions that we have, the homes that we have, the money that we have. These are the things that God has given us. And what do all of these things have in common? Well, they're all brought to us through one thing, and that is the cross. All of the talents, all of the gifts that we have wouldn't be ours were it not for Christ, through whom all things are given. That's what gifts are. So as we hear gifts talked about today, think of that. Literally everything that you have from God. Second question, what are gifts? Who has gifts? Real simple, everyone of you has a gifts. That, ha- that is who has gifts. It's everyone who has faith in Christ. Those are the people who has gifts. How do I know that? Some of you are sitting there like, well, I don't have a gift, Pastor. I know it because the Bible says it. Here's what the Bible says. Each one of us having gifts. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Again, 1 Corinthians says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Again, 1 Peter, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Who has gifts? All of you. If you follow Christ, if you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a spiritual gift from God. At least one. Now some of you are looking at me like, man, you don't know me. I don't have any gifts. 
You may not know what your gifts are. You may not be using your gifts, but each one of you has a gift. And if you stick with me long enough throughout this sermon, you're going to find out what your gifts are and that you have been given them for a purpose, which leads to this last question. Why? Why do you have gifts? And the reason that you have gifts might surprise you. Every gift that has been given to you is given to you, is not for you. Again, scripture is clear about that. Every gift given to you isn't for you, but it is given for others. First Corinthians Corinthians says, not to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Why? For the common good. What is the common good? Well, we hear about it throughout scripture. It is to equip God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. The common good is this. It is the building of the kingdom of God And to do that, it is serving others. First Peter says, each one of you should use whatever gift you have received. Why? To serve others. That's the what. That's the who. And that's the why of gifts. Perhaps two more questions remain about gifts. Frequently asked questions. One, what are my gifts? Stick with me, we'll get to that. But here's another one. How many gifts do I have? Or maybe it's often said another way, why don't I have as many as that person? Well, Scripture makes this abundantly clear, and so does this parable when talking about gifts. God gives equally to all, but God gives unequal amounts. And this is the part where you might look at it and you might say to yourself, God, that is unfair, that's not nice, that's not kind, don't you know we should all be given the same That's not what God does. Let's go back to Matthew. In fact, it's reason for joy. And let me tell you why. Chapter 25. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also the one who had with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned, and he settled accounts with them. The man who had, uh, the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. Then the man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Again, God gives equally to all people. God gives unequal amounts. But that's all right. Here's why. When God gives, when it comes to God's giving of gifts, his concern is not with the quantity of your harvest, but God cares about this. He cares about only the quality of your heart. 
When God gives gifts, he cares only about the quality of your heart, not the quantity of your harvest. You know what I mean by that? What God is talking about with this parable parable is he's not concerned if you take your one talent, you take your five, and you take your 30, and you go out and use them, and you get a return of 30. He's that's not your favorite. The return of two isn't looked down on as someone less than because that was their return on what they put forth with their gifts. His only concern is the quality of your heart, the fact that you go out and you use the gifts that God has given you. I mean, look at it. The guy with five doubles up and gets five more. The one with two comes back and doesn't even get half that. He gets two more. And yet, what does God say? The master says the very same thing to both of them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. To both of them, he says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge. So what does that mean for our gift using? Well, when it comes to our gift using, that means that our concern is with the attitude of our hearts, not with the attributes on your hands. So often when we talk about gifts, people want to pe- people want to talk all about this is what I have, this is what she has. This is what they have, this is not what I have. And all we're concerned about is what we have or don't have and what my gifts are and who I am and no. It's about the attitude of our heart. And that's why that's the next section we're going to look at is the attitude of gift users and the attitude of gift abusers. The first thing, if the gift users are anything, they're humble. They're humble. See, it's seen most clearly in the guy who was given an unprecedented amount of money. The servant who did not deserve it, who was only a servant, receives five and a half million dollars. It's no secret. Sometimes we like to pretend though, right, that, that who has gifts and who doesn't have gifts, it's a secret and we shouldn't really talk about it. But it wasn't a secret that he got $5 million to go out and use and, and he got back a return of, of that. He had $10 million to give to his master. And what does he do? Hire the paparazzi in a parade to usher him in? No. He simply walks in and says, this is what you gave me. This is what I did with it. Here's what is yours. He recognizes who the gifts come from. They come from God. It's not his. He's humble. You might be wondering why the picture of these two men up here. Anybody recognize who they are? It's a picture of George Stanton and a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Volantham. George was, excuse me, not George. Let me get this name right. Richard Stanton and John Volanthan. Richard was a retired firefighter and John is an IT consultant from Great Britain, both of them. And yet both of them are recognized as the world's most gifted scuba divers. Just a couple weeks back, they were called on to help find the, the Thai wild boars youth soccer team that were stuck in a cave. Two of the world's most gifted divers went in and they found those 12 players and their coach. They orchestrated and led the the rescue mission and they did it on a world stage, putting their gifts out there, their talents out there, and for it, they received quite a bit of acclaim. There's a movement in Parliament in Britain going on to see to it that they're knighted. When asked about it, 
This is what the gentleman said. It's very calculating. We do this the opposite of heroic. That's what we do. We just take it one step at a time, and hopefully, as we've managed in this case, we come up with the successful results. Listen, I have no idea if these two gentlemen are Christians or not, but what I do know is that their example, the five bag of gold man and the two, both set an example for how we are to use our gifts as Christians. Because that's what we're talking about today. We are talking about using gifts. Am I right? It's one thing to just have gifts and not use them. That's easy to be humble when I have this gift or that gift, but nobody sees it because I don't use it and I don't talk about it. But what we're talking about is using your talents, putting your administrative talent, your leadership, your teaching talent, your giving talent on display so that it gets a return. And so that people are going to know you're using it. People are going to come to you because you're using it. People are going to thank you for using it. And yet remaining humble. That's the first thing. People who are gift users are humble and people who are gift users are content. Perhaps the most fascinating man or woman in this story is the two-bag servant. It's the person that's sitting next to their friend and watches as they receive 60% more gifts than them. I wonder how many Christians live with somebody who is 60% more talented than them, has 60% more gifts, goes to church with somebody and they're like, ah, I feel like I'm 60% or, or more less gifted than them and doesn't use their gifts, thinking, eh, it's too small, I'm not going to do anything. But that's not what the two-bag man does. He takes his gifts and he uses them with a content heart faithfully and gets a return on them. Humble, content, and here's the last one. They are fearlessly ambitious. My favorite line in this parable is this. It is, when the master went on a journey, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more bags. So also the one with two bags. Immediately, with urgency, they went. They went and they didn't say, eh, it's a long journey. We got time. They didn't say, man, well, I wonder how he wants me to use this. I'm kind of worried that it's good. No, fearlessly, ambitiously, they were determined to see that what their God gave them, what their master gave them was used to successfully carry out their purpose. So they got to work. Context of, remember, we are talking in the context of the end times. We are talking in the kind of all this. His point is coming back again. Gifts. So use God's gifts. And I was thinking, what word do we want to put in that blank? Should we say faithfully? Use God's gifts faithfully? I think sometimes we tell ourselves we're being faithful when we're not. Wow, maybe we should put in humbly, uh, contentfully, ambitiously. How about this? We use them today. That's what he's talking about. God gives us great gifts, so use God's gifts today, immediately, with urgency. Think about the context that it's in. Jesus is talking to his disciples. I'm going on a journey. I'm coming back again. How much of what we do, how much of the actions we take as Christians are with that day in mind? 
How much of what we do has a sense of imminency about it, urgency that Christ is coming again? Are we just kind of like, eh, he's been gone 2,000 years, probably be gone another 2,000, so I got time. Hey, I'm in a season in my life where uh, I'm being this or I'm doing this and I, I can't use my gifts. The difference between the gift user and the gift abuser is this. Gift users don't see the gifts that they've been given as an extra add-on additional responsibility. Their gifts are who they are. It's what they do, not something extra. But that's not the case with the one-bag man. We're in verse 18. Verse 18 says this, But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Compare the attitude of the gift user and the gift abuser where if the users were humble, this guy comes in with pridefulness. The moment he walks in the door, he starts making assumptions about his master. He impugns his master's character, saying, hey, you, I think I know who you are. This is who, who you can. He's prideful. He's not content. He's resentful. He's bitter about his master's generosity. He says, you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. He's annoyed by the generosity. He's prideful, he's resentful, and he admits it. He's fearful. Whereas the others acted with fearlessness, not worried about the results. He admitted, I'm afraid, so I hid it. And what did that all result in? the condemnation that you are a wicked, lazy servant. And I see some of you smiling, right? It's a funny picture, right? Lazy. I put it up there for a reason because oftentimes, oftentimes I think that's how we think about laziness. It's kind of just this funny thing that, oh, people who, who you know, know how to relax, who don't take themselves too seriously, they're lazy. Other people are tryhards. Don't work so hard. But what does God say about laziness? He calls the servant wicked. And as we'll see, he sends them to hell. People who are prideful, resentful, fearful, lazy. They're people who always have an excuse. Always have an excuse about the gift that God has given them. Oh, God, that's expecting too much of me. God... If I use that, it's going to be hard. In fact, I might even suffer persecution. People say, oh, yeah, I have that gift, but oh, they have that gift more, and so I'll just let them use it. 
Or even worse, they say, I don't have it. I don't have the gift at all. And they despise the very gift that God has given them. You know who goes to hell? You know why they go to hell? It's one reason. The one reason that people go to hell is because they despise the time, the talents, and the treasures that God has given them and in so doing despise and reject the very thing that made it possible. That's the cross of Christ. That's why people go to hell. People go to hell because like the wicked, lazy, one-bag man, they go, look, here, take it. I don't want it. You have it. Take what's yours. That's the only reason people go to hell. C.S. Lewis put it very, very one-bag man. He said, hell's doors are locked by the bag of gold. The master said this. He said, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I told you, it's not the tender-hearted Jesus. Here's his point. His point is pretty clear. God gives great gifts. So use God's gifts when? No other time. Today, now. Use them or lose them eternally. The wicked servant, he was bold. He said, I know you're a hard man. Here, halves what's yours. And then he said this. He says, you're a man who's harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Essentially, he's saying, master, he's saying, God, you are someone who takes things that don't belong to you. Now, here's a question to consider. Was he right? Was he right? about the master? Was he a hard man? Was he someone who takes things that don't belong to him? He was absolutely right. He was absolutely correct. The the master replied, he says, so you know, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put that money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. The lazy one-bag man was absolutely right. This is who our master is. This is the character of our God. He takes things that don't belong to him. He takes the sins that were yours and not his. He takes the messes that we've made in life and he made them his own. This is the opulence and the offense of the gospel. This is the lavish love of our God. He is not fair. He takes what was never his and never should have been his, your sins and mine, and he makes them his own. (gasps) Are you saying that God's not a gentleman? Are you saying that, that God asks and, or acts and doesn't even ask me what I want? Yeah, absolutely. 
That is absolutely the kind of God that we are have, having then and having now. He's a God who gives you sins without asking. He's a God who takes your messes without asking. And guess what? He is a God who that looks at you without asking if you're cool with it. I'm going to give you one, five, three, or a hundred gifts, and I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to expect you to use it. And I don't really care how you feel because guess what? This is for my glory. This is for my kingdom. That's the God we had. That's the God we have. And I told you, you might walk away thinking he's unfair. He's hard. But you got to be. If you're running a profitable business, a business called the building of the kingdom of heaven. But think. Think about why. He wants it so that you find more happiness. You have a God who wants you to find more happiness and he shows you how. 1 Corinthians 3 says, He sent us a God. He sent us a Jesus. He sent us his, our master to suffer once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. And then grace upon grace, put a cherry on top of it. He gives you a ton of gifts while he's gone. He gives you lavish, great gifts. And he says, use them. Why? Because he's going on a journey. And here, if you catch anything at all, catch this. This is the greatest part of all. He's coming back. He's coming back and he has a heart that wants nothing more than to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many and catch this, come, come share your master's happiness. Do you have any idea what it means to share in your master's happiness, to share in God's happiness, to share in the pure, unadulterated happiness that knows no limits? Can you even imagine what that level of happiness is like? That is what your God wants for you, and he's showing you how. I'm going away. Use the gifts. I don't care the harvest. I care about the attitude of your heart. That's it. Use them. Use them today or lose them. Or lose me eternally. Bud Wilkinson was a famed college coach for the Oklahoma Sooners in the 40s, 50s, and the 60s. At the end of his career, he took part in the, the newly formed presidential uh, fitness initiative. And a reporter asked him, he said, he says, what contribution does college and professional sports have on the American citizen. Quite bluntly, he said, it doesn't. He said, the average football game has 50,000 attendees in it who desperately need exercise watching 22 men who desperately... Is that the picture of churches in 2018? The vast majority sitting, needing to use their gifts, watching the professionals use their gifts? Is that the case in churches? Is that the case in Christianity? It shouldn't be. But I wonder if sometimes it is. How many of you are familiar with the 80-20 rule? The 80-20 rule states that 80% of a organization or community's output or um, you know, whatever they produce is done by 20% of the people or 20% of the efforts. Apply that to churches, and it states that 80% of a church's ministry is done by 20% of the people. Is that true here? Well, I was wondering, I was wondering myself, so I took a look at this last week. I took a look at the science camp. 
we had 60% of the adults who are confirmed and call this church their home participating in the science camp. That is incredible. But ask yourself what average ministry is like. Not Sunday morning church, not special events, but ask yourself what is living the church like? Is it 20% trying to produce 80% of ministry? We answered a couple questions, right? About gifts today, what they are, who has them, why you have them, how many. We forgot to ask, what are your gifts? Some of you probably know what your gifts are. If you don't know, I bet you could ask the person sitting next to you and they they could tell you what gifts you have. But maybe you don't know. So our church body put together a little resource that actually is going to get sent to you later this afternoon. It's a, it's a gift discovery tool. And if you click on the link in the text message that's coming to you, it's going to ask you some questions and you're going to get to figure out what your gifts are. But gifts aren't for you, right? Gifts are for others, for building God's kingdom. So I'll, I want to invite you, if you take that, that inventory and that tool, take a screenshot, send it to your pastor. But here's what I want to do as we close out today. I want you to take out the connection card that all of you received in your worship guide. I want you to take it out and put your name on top. And in the box down below is an area for you to write your prayer requests. But what I want you to do right now is just take 30 seconds to write down one gift that you know you have. And if you don't know if you have a gift, ask a friend or a family member next to you And I want you to take the connection card, and as is our practice here, I want you to drop it in the collection plate as we give our thank offering to God. And I want you to give your gift to do that. God is a living sacrifice. Listen, your church, this church, it is challenging you. It is challenging you to recognize your gifts, to use your gifts today. Forget the 80-20 rule. What would happen if 100% of the people that call the Way Church home use their gifts? Maybe it's one, maybe it's three, maybe it's five. What if they use their gifts 100% of the time? What if that's what we gave God to bless? What would God do through us then? Your church is challenging you to use your gifts. What if you challenged your church to make sure you had an opportunity to use those gifts? Amen.